Hello, hello, my dear audience. Hello, my friends, my known and yet unknown friends. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. You are probably surprised to hear a different tune, different music as an introduction, <clears throat> excuse me, to my show. Well, for a while I have been thinking about changing the tune. And uh, my friends, I will, one of uh, the listeners uh, sent me this email. It's almost like <laughs> in response to my thoughts. And I've been thinking about changing the tune maybe for a couple of weeks. My name is Vita Minielli. I am a regular listener to your podcast and previously had written to you uh, with a question about what is not God. I actually remember uh, attempting to answer it. I hope I did give you some answer, although I don't remember what the answer was um, exactly. I know what have thoughts I have on that subject now. Um, anyway, here he goes on. Uh, Regarding the music at the beginning of your podcast, I suggest you replace it with a cleaner version as it sounds quite distorted and jarring. I also noticed that. Other than that, I love all the tools you share, including staying sane in a world that's gone crazy. As a songwriter, I'm always looking for new ideas which inspire humanity uh, to ascend to a more unified connection with the life we are part of, beautifully written. Uh, here then um, he shares, I, he spoke a little more about the show and then he shared that with me that he received a grant from Creative Creatives uh, Rebuild New York. And he writes, and I was able to work because of this grant on my solo project full time. Uh, in 2023, I wrote over 20 new songs and recorded 10 of them so far. I just finished the first five and downloaded some interesting nature video um, from the YouTube so I could add my music uh, and lyrics to them. Here is the final product. I hope you enjoy the music and the message. I have to tell you, I listened to all five songs Vito, thank you very much. And I loved all of them. Uh, and particularly, I loved one, uh, what you heard, open the, opening the doors. Um, because this is what this show is about. And I wrote to Vito about it, and he generously offered to send me a clip that I would want to be played in the beginning of my show. Uh, because this show, uh, Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox, the toolbox for what? for opening the doors of new possibilities. As all doors close, or sometimes keep open, new doors always open. Uh, we just went through a transition called New Year for whole planet, 2024. So 2023 closed, that door closed, and now a new door is opening. And, and um, again, I'm very willing and ready to share all the tools that I know that I acquired over the last 45 years as a health practitioner's practitioner. I, I'm very excited to offer you any tools. By now you know my work, you know all the tools I have, uh, but these tools can be utilized in uh, assisting you 
in dealing with whatever problems or challenges you have in your life. And I'm attempting to use the same tools to help myself with those challenges. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi said, every night I go to sleep, I die. And in the morning, I'm born again. And then we have this new 24 hours of life to make it happen and to do the best we can in climbing, as my teacher of blessed memory Colette said, climbing the ladder of ourselves. So, uh, so this is my introduction to this uh, tune, this new music, and I love it. I would love to hear your feedback uh, about the music, and also uh, probably you can go on, on uh, YouTube and listen to Vito Minielli, M-I-N-I-E-L-L-I, -L -L -I, um, in his music. Um, now we start with, uh, as usual, with our show and tell. I found on the internet, uh, on Facebook, this uh, five best sentences, which I very much appreciated, so I want to share with you them. Number one, you cannot legislate the poor into prosperity by legislating the wealthy out of prosperity. As you can see, uh, I'm very much, you know, very much against socialism. I lived in it. So, and this is, of course, of course, these are statements pretty much uh, about what would happen if we would have socialism in this country. Uh, and any socialist country, uh, citizens of socialist countries uh, experienced it. That's why there are no immigrants from the Soviet, former Soviet Union or from Venezuela, from Cuba, or from Eastern Bloc, former Eastern Bloc, that want to welcome socialism. Statement two, what one person receives without working for, another person must work for without receiving. A third statement, the government cannot give to anybody anything that the government does not first take from somebody else. Uh, number four, you cannot multiply wealth by dividing it. Number five, when half of the people get the idea that they do not have to work because the other half is going to take care of them. And when the other half gets the idea that it does not, it, that it does not, the, uh, that it does no good to work because somebody else is going to get what they worked for, that is the beginning of the end of the nation. Uh, isn't it interesting? I, I'm just what comes to my mind is what uh, former Prime Minister of UK, Margaret Thatcher said, socialism is good after you run out of other people's money. Anyway, uh, this uh, uh, ideas uh, about a welfare nation that I subscribe to I do believe, though, that if the nation is to grow and prosper, just like any living creature or any human baby that is born, it needs something, and it needs tools for survival. And those tools come through education. 
that is the little cub follows his mama, whether it's a wolf or uh, or a lion, lioness, and they get education. They learn how uh, the best best to survive and uh, deal with the environment. Uh, the society needs to teach its young the appropriate information and skills for survival, and then when the survival is assured, the skills for success. So we owe our children, all children of this nation, good schools and with good teachers. That is why I am absolutely against the system where the teachers get tenureship and they cannot be fired. And they are protected by layers and layers of safeguards, all these unions, uh, teachers union, to me, there is only one criteria for hiring uh, and that is and keeping a person in a certain position. And this is particularly true when we entrust our children to those people. And that criteria is competence. Hire good teachers and every year do evaluation of their performance and make sure that all schools of the nation have the same educational standards. That is how it is in most, if not all, countries of the world. Unfortunately, and I looked up um, on the internet, uh, the United States ranks 13th in education. Um, that's good. There is an educational uh, index uh, so the top 10 are Sweden, then Finland, Denmark, Germany, Canada, UK, Norway, Japan, Switzerland, and Netherlands. And all these countries, as far as I know, have the same standards throughout the country. So, and uh, of course, you, you probably know that in, in the Soviet Union, where I come from, the education was on a very high level. And again, there were certain, the same standards. You cannot go to the next grade till you pass uh, the exams. For the previous grade, now so many children don't even know how to read. This is shame. This is shame, really. How? What will happen 10 years from now when these people are going to look for jobs? Okay. Now, Gary, my friend Gary, I don't know he would like me to use his last name. But thank you, Gary, for sending me links to lectures, podcasts, and movies. I think Gary is, is kind of supporting me. Um, it's almost like my staff who is <laughs> trying to educate me. Remember, I mentioned to you, I was so impressed by how much research Gary Null quotes in every one of his shows that when he and I were taking a ride from his ranch uh, in Texas to the airport, I asked him, you know, I think I mentioned to you, I asked him, how many people in your staff are doing research? And he said, none. Uh, he said to me that every morning he reads at least 40, 40 articles. Well, I cannot do that. I cannot even finish one article in the morning. It takes me a, a while. So Gary has really took upon himself this uh, 
unpaid <laughs> position of educating me. Uh, I do, uh, Gary, I do look at all the uh, links that you send me and I want to thank you. And the last uh, thing that he sent me was a film called, called Painkiller inside the opiate crisis. Well, I have something to tell you, not just from watching this film. Uh, in 1970, Richard Nixon announced the war on drugs and also announced the war, the war on cancer. And both wars, of course, are miserably failing because the war is not War is about division, it's duality, it's uh, somebody against somebody. And when you create um, a situation where there is just a war and uh, no learning experience from what is happening, what is presented, uh, the war will continue raging and things will get only worse, for example. When Richard Nixon announced the war on cancer, uh, to, to, uh, 1970 now, it's uh, 54 years ago, then one of 20 women uh, uh, were diagnosed with breast cancer every year. And now one of six women is diagnosed um, with breast cancer. And with drugs, you know what is happening. Because I think that War, these wars go the wrong way. Uh, they, the war goes against the substance or the, the object um, in cancer situation is against the symptom called cancer and the war on drugs is literally against the drugs coming to the United States. Uh, in countries like Singapore and some or many Asian countries, there is virtually no drugs. How can it be? Well, also I mentioned to you a long time ago, I met this guy, a guy Jacobson, who started a movement, uh, and I encouraged all my students to join it and to contribute money to it. It was called Red Light Children. He started it probably 20 years ago now. And it was uh, to stop child uh, sex trafficking and his approach was um, and I spent one whole evening sharing with him uh, talking to him we, we met at a party and we started the conversation I remember being shocked because I I enjoy good red wine but I don't drink usually more than a glass maybe a week and I truly enjoy it and I remember he and I slowly drank a whole bottle together of a good wine and continue talking the whole evening. That's what we, we kind of moved away from everyone. And it was a party given by a friend, mutual friend of us. And he was telling me about this, this movement, how it all started, how he got involved. And, and he said to me, there will be always people willing to risk their life, to sacrifice their children, uh, to sell them into slavery. And the same thing with drugs. That's why I'm telling you the story. There will be always people ready to make money, people who are not moral, who don't care uh, what will happen to the users of drugs. So 
you cannot fight the drug cartels only, the the mules who bring drugs from the country, some country to the United States. No, that's not enough. Where well, I mentioned uh, Asian countries and I, and I mentioned Singapore, Ill, uh, illegal drugs kill. Everybody knows that. So there is a prohibition on having, <coughs> excuse me, Yes, it is ginger tea that I'm drinking, of course. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you cannot possess drugs, period, in those countries. And that is, if you are selling them, I don't know exactly, probably the sentence is much higher. But even if you have those drugs, you go to jail, you pay the price. Because remember, these drugs are dangerous. It's like having a gun. Whether you, uh, whether you carry it and, and let's say stage, start shooting, you may kill somebody else or you may kill yourself. So it is if it's not a legal gun, and that is you have to be sane, you have to, you know, they examine your, your history, if you're not violent and uh, you have reasons to carry a gun or own a gun, then it's perfectly fine. But you cannot use a, a dangerous weapon like drugs uh, carried in, in this country. Uh, and if you do, you have to pay the price. So then, only then, I believe uh, that um, those drugs will stop flowing in this country. Uh, that is, and of course, in the United States, they even provide needles and they... They make it safe for drug addicts to continue being drug addicts. And there will be always somebody who is interested in selling them those drugs. So it will never end. So if within, I, I believe within a year that what they call war on drugs could be won. And that is simply saying to people, you're going to pay a very high price. If you bring drugs into this country and the person says, I'm not bringing any drugs in this country. I'm just a victim. I'm a user. Yes, you bring these drugs in, in the country because you demand it. Your demand stimulates the supply. People get killed somewhere, in a, maybe in a different country or crossing the border. So you would have the drugs. So you are as responsible. That would be my answer to drug addiction uh, in this country or any other country. Here is another email I received from Netanel, Dr. Peter Resnick. Uh, if I am very passionate about Tony Robbins material, yet I'm just tired of all this mental health part. A, he a mental health part healing bullshit. What practice slash person will help cut through these bullshit techniques and empower the godly part of myself and get the courage to move forward in life. Sincerely, uh, Nathaniel. Well, I have a couple of things to say about Tony Robbins. Uh, I don't believe that, personally, I don't believe that he brings mental health part bullshit. I don't believe it's bullshit. I had direct experience of 
of attending his lecture um, or workshop. In 1994, I attended a firewalking workshop with Tony Robbins. It was held on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. And I remember the year because I remember thinking to myself, uh, here I'm 30 years old, and that means it was uh, 1994. Uh, and, and this guy is 27. I knew, I knew that he was three years younger. And he is on fire. He inspires thousands of people. At that time, I was teaching a course in clinical hypnotherapy. Uh, and I was saying to my students, our body is a reflection of the state of our mind. And there was a man, uh, there was a man who was demonstrating this quite dramatically. Uh, I think I got a, a even, I called and I got group rates, so we discounted tickets. And there were 300, over 300 people attending that workshop. And I'm, I'm not talking about psychologists, doctors, no. There were housewives from Brooklyn and, and psychologists with all different kinds of people. I spoke to many. And I remember a friend of mine, Dennis Stark. And Dennis Stark is a world-known um, biologist, researcher. At one point, he actually was one year, he was a president of a World Research Association. He worked for um, Rockefeller Foundation. And he came to, uh, uh, with uh, my girlfriend at that time, they both came to watch me walk on, on fire. And Dennis Stark took pictures. And then, so I still have the pictures. And Dennis said, I, I'm a biologist. I understand how you can control pain through uh, self-hypnosis. But I do not understand how it is that the flesh did not burn. Um, and that was quite remarkable from, from uh, sounding from coming from the biologist. Uh, but he couldn't understand because, understand it because he did not go beyond uh, intellect. When there is a serious shift of consciousness, the body responds differently than, than we are accustomed to. And Tony Robbins then also spoke about eating right uh, and thinking right. Uh, no matter how great our mental or spiritual uh, aspiration, we must take care of, number one, our air. Remember the number one thing, without air we cannot live more than a couple of minutes. Number two, water. Number three, sleep. Number four, food. Uh, there is a wonderful Arabic saying, trust in Allah, but do not forget to tie the camel to the tree. We have to take care of our bodies. So, Nathaniel, um, uh, I had to summarize it. Yes, you need all that stuff. Tony, inspirational talks of Tony Robbins, but part of it is um, being aware of what is good for your body. Uh, because we are human beings, we are spiritual, mental, emotional beings, but we are residing in the physical environment. That is physical, number one, it's our body, and then environment surrounds our body and has uh, 
a very significant impact on our body. Okay, one more thing, and this is not an email. I happen to find on uh, YouTube Dr. Oz, uh, a, a clip that with Dr. Oz answering questions from callers. And one caller said that he was 350 pounds. And Dr. Oz said uh, that when we are stressed, we release hormones which make us hungry. And thousands of years ago, major stress was about not having food. He said that the person needed uh, to, to change his diet and uh, reduce stress because the, the body re reacts as if when a person is stressed, uh, is as if there is no food. And so this person begins to eat more. Uh, but unfortunately, Dr. Oz said nothing about the weight of, of life. The weight of life. Uh, that is, that is, uh, I believe, another side of the approach that needs to be taken to in dealing with weight. I think at one point I already spoke about the weight issues. And remember, there is inner and outer life. Outer is what you eat, uh, what eating habits you have. And stress also, it's it's it outer life, stresses that we receive from the outside, and inner life, our responses to those stresses. But also within our inner life, there is holding on to weight, not literally weight, pounds, weight, oh, the weight of pounds is actually a reflection of the weight that we hold on to in our psyche. And that is uh, our hurts and guilts, resentments, uh, I find that, for example, people who have a lot of weight always have a big list of what, what I call hurts and guilts. Things uh, that I remember that somebody owes them, somebody hurt them, and things they feel guilty about. And also, you know, in a physical, on a physical level, their closets are always full. They have difficulties letting go of the past, including past objects. So our goal is to free ourselves from those weights hanging on us. And then following Dr. Oz, it will be easier uh, to lose weight, it will be easier to change the diet. Again, changing the diet, you still have to know your body type, what's good for you, what's not good for you, and so on. Now I have something uh, I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, somebody wanted uh, to to a call to to make a comment probably. But I want to I will open the floor a little bit later to to callers. I want to share with you something which I found again on internet, which I found super to be super powerful. And it's a good beginning. It's a good statement. Uh, or a good set of ideas in the beginning of this year. So we started this year in a healthy way. This statement or this couple of pages are attributed to Anthony Hopkins, the famous actor that I love. So here's what he wrote. Let go of people 
who are not ready to love you. This is the hardest thing you will ever have to do in your life. And it will also be the most important thing. Stop having difficult covered conversations with people who do not want to change. Stop showing up for people who are not interested in your presence. I know your instinct is to do everything possible to gain the appreciation of those around you. But it's an impulse that steals your time, energy, mental and physical health. When you start fighting for life with joy, interest and commitment, not everyone be ready to follow you to that place. It does not mean you have to change who you are. It means you have to let go of people who are not ready to be with you. If you are excited, no, if you are excluded, insulted, forgotten, or ignored by the people you give your time to, you are not doing yourself a favor by continuing to offer them your energy and your life. Truth is, you ain't for everybody, and everybody ain't for you. This is what makes it so special when you find people you have friendship with and mutual love. You will know how precious it is because you have experienced what is not. There are billions of people on this planet and many of them you will find at your level of interest and commitment. Maybe if you stop showing up, they won't look for you. Maybe you, you stop trying, the relationship ends. Maybe if you stop texting, your phone will stay dark for weeks. That does not mean you ruined the relationship. It means the only thing sustaining it was the energy only you gave to it. That's not love. That's attachment. It's giving a chance to those who do not deserve it. You deserve much more. The most valuable thing you have in your life is your time and energy, as both are limited. The people and things you give your time and energy to will define your existence. When you realize this, you start to understand why you're so anxious. When you spend time with people, activities, or spaces, that don't suit you and shouldn't be near you. You will start to realize that the most important thing you can do for yourself and everyone around you is to protect your energy more fiercely than anything else. Make your life a safe heaven where only people compatible with you are allowed. You're not responsible for saving everyone. You're not responsible for convincing them to do better. It's not your job to exist for people and give them your life. You deserve real friendships, true commitments, and complete love with healthy and prosperous people. Decision to distance yourself from toxic people will give you love, esteem, happiness, and protection you need and deserve.
I think it was beautiful. I actually read it a couple of times. So uh, it's something I uh, something I think is to listen to. Maybe I'm not such a good reader. Uh, if you want, you can send me an email, and I will gladly send you the text. It's something to contemplate on. So uh, if you want now to make comments, uh, call. Uh, share your thoughts about everything I said. You are welcome to call at 888-874-4888. If you want to send me an email, my email is peter, number 18, R-E-Z-N-I-K, at gmail.com. And now I will take a call if uh, E from Edgewater is still on. Uh, E, are you there? No. Okay. Um, so then I will continue talking. And if he wants to call, he will call again. Uh, hello? Hello? Yes. Uh, hello? Yes. Sorry, Dr. Resnick. I was listening to you on the computer because it's so low on the phone, I could hardly hear you. So, Well, welcome. Happy New Year, E. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you. I haven't heard from you for a while, so I was happy to see you calling. Do you have a comment or a question? Well, I have a comment. I have a comment about, uh, I remember listening to a few weeks back, you say, yeah, you talking about that we need to work in order to like uh, have a good life. You know, we, we need to have work in our life. Didn't yes. you say that? Uh, I don't remember saying that we need to work. I, I was, I believe I was saying we need to have meaning, some meaningful vo vocation. Uh, I think Midrad Boas said, um, a philosopher said, human beings are dwelling creatures. We, we need to dwell. We, we don't just eat, let's say fish, a fish is not a dwelling creature. A fish eats, and then a bigger fish eats a smaller fish. So they, they don't do anything else except survival. But human beings, it's not enough for us to eat, drink, sleep, and this is it. We need to do it. We come come to, into this world with, we can call it program, uh, or unconscious desire to grow, make changes. And some people can do it, some cannot. But I believe one of the major pro, um, purposes of our life is, is to grow, to climb the ladder of ourselves. That's what I think I said, not just work, uh, but because some people don't need to go to work to make a living, but they need to have purpose to live. Uh, that's what I said, I think. Uh, and what, what do you want to say about it? Okay, well, well, I'm just saying when my first, when I was born, my first five years I spent with my mom in the house, and she would uh, give, make me breakfast and lunch, and uh, I would keep myself busy doing things on my own. You know, as a little boy, I would read my little books and play records and do all kinds of things, and I was learning, learning just fine. And then I was kidnapped by this corrupt education system and forced to go to school and taken away from the life that I already was, was enjoying, learning. Now, the animals, they don't go to school. They know how to do things instinctively 
and I think we had that same ability, but we we suppressed it by uh, by uh, replacing it with the one plus one equals two, and reading uh, Sally went up the hill with the dog spot and all this stuff, and uh, we have been taken away from our our true meaning is gone. Because we decided that we had to, we bought into this system of education, we lost our true meaning, which was to take care of this planet was our work. That's the work we were supposed to be doing, taking care of the planet, like the Native Americans were doing, like the animals do. They take care of the planet, they don't hurt it. We destroy it, we corrupt it, and we're making a mess of everything with all this education. When you want to control a large group of people, you get them from when they're very young, and then you put the things in in their heads that you want them to know. They taught us how to memorize spelling words and all other stuff, the dates now. We put everything that happens now, we say with the date instead of what happened. What happened with the Hamas and Israel, that was October uh, 6th or, or 7th, uh, 9-11, uh, January 6th. Everything's associated with dates, just like they taught us in school when we were little uh, to, to memorize all of this stuff about wars so we would fill our minds with all wrong things. This is what I believe, Dr. Resnick. I think we've been misled by the devil, and we don't want to see it. We love this system so much, we can't, we can't get, get enough of it. Thank it's, you. It's so uh, terrible. Uh, it's, it's like living in a nightmare for me here. Thank you. Yeah, I understand. I, um, I, I will have to take somebody else's call, but I, sh- I thank you for sharing and I, to some degree, you know, there was a, um, a German philosopher, Rudolf Steiner. There are Steiner schools called Wilder schools all around the world. Uh, and it's the most successful alternative school system. And they actually agree with E from Edgewater. They believe that the educational system destroys curiosity. Uh, and they, in fact, they don't teach children ability till the age of nine how to read. They want children to go and explore the world, feel the world, and uh, in fact, play with animals, play play with earth, uh, do pretty much what Eat from Edgewater is saying. Experience life rather than uh, learning dates and, and numbers and, and names. Um, anyway, thank you uh, for calling, and I have another call from Lincoln uh, Brown from Mount Vernon. I know Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln, you're hey, there. Yeah, hi, Dr. Resnick. How are you? Thank you for calling. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year um, to you. I remember you called I, a few weeks yeah, ago. So you have a comment or a question? Yes, 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 yes. Um, first, I want to ask you, do you take clients for hypnosis? Uh, sometimes, if it's necessary. But you know... Mostly 95% of people I see, I see now on internet, Zoom. There is only one thing I cannot do through internet, and that is hypnosis. I know some people 
Some I study hypnosis and I'm interested in hypnosis. I don't really and I, I'm interested in what self-hypnosis purposes. Uh, and I just heard you mention about hypnosis. Hello? So, did you ask me a question if I take clients for hypnosis? Was yeah, that for hypnosis, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I do, but they have to travel to Queens see me in see yeah. me in person right mm -hmm. okay yeah so i really what i was calling about is the last time when i called yeah. i have two things i want to speak on um we i had, i had mentioned the word sin yes. and you said in hebrew there's no word for sin yes right yes so i think it was we have to be careful because when the Bible, when the Torah says "Thou shalt not" in the Ten Commandments, yeah. it is um, you could tr you could also call those, breaking those Ten Commandments sin. It's just like, for example, some people quibble about the word God, and so they are not thinking about this being, this this force, this intelligent force, this on in unfathomable force which created all things but they get caught up on the word god right so i, I wanted to say to you when i say sin i think we have to be very careful of these hackneyed way of um interpreting words you know because any wrongdoing is sin the sin and the ten commandments are synonymous uh, uh, lincoln because you know it went in, in in the new testament it tells you you shouldn't kill you should love your brothers. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah? No, no, no. You shouldn't no. steal. No, no, you, you sorry. You see what I'm saying? Lincoln, Hello? there is no such commandment as they shall not kill. That's why I'm saying that when you say we should or shouldn't, the text is in Hebrew, and we have to have clear translation of Hebrew. If you believe mm -hmm. that the Hebrew text is original, the original text and the writings of, of the prophets predicted, I understand you are Christian, predicted the coming of Messiah. It is the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah, uh, like Jeremiah predicted the coming of Messiah. Without them, and who, who wrote in Hebrew, there is no, no, no Christianity. So therefore we have to rely on the Hebrew text. And I say, there is the word hat, the word hat is translated literally as missing the mark by the linguist, Hebrew linguist. Uh, missing the mark, because uh, the word sin was uh, uh, taken as, as a, this horrible thing, you will burn in hell, uh, you were born in sin. No, missing the mark, simply, you, you're off track. And that is, get back on track. That's, this is it. And by the way, you said, they shall not kill. No, the, the sixth commandment is, lo tichzach. I can spell it to you in Hebrew if you know how to find the word in the, in the dictionary. Lo tichzach mm -hmm. does not mean uh, I shall not kill. There is a different word for kill. Lo tichzach literally is translated thou shall not murder. murder right, that's is, what I meant. But even that, thou shall not murder, um, you know, that's what I meant, thou shall not. But it's still the same thing, Don Dr. Resnick. It's not the same. If, if say, I thought you were going to tell me something weird. No, if you say thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, it's no, still no, no. basically different. saying you shouldn't commit, you shouldn't destroy a life um, no. without a good cause if it's not self-defense. It's the same thing. Lincoln, no. You know, that, no, it's not. Huh? If somebody wants to kill me, 
Absolutely. I'm obliged to kill a person. If somebody wants to kill my family, I'm obliged to protect myself. If oh, okay. That actually is yeah, a that's what I'm thing. saying, right. No, but what I'm saying is when we say thou shalt not kill, you know, implicit in, in it is that we're saying don't go there and just do wanton killing. That's what we're really saying. That's, not, that's murder. Right? Premeditative, taking someone's life. Right, it, right, right. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's murder. The last, thing I, it's the last thing I want to address is this. Um, yes. In terms of the war, yes. and Which I came to this conclusion not because of any pundits, but based upon, you know, after I heard uh, about the fact that Netanyahu had, they had information that there was uh, going to be a, an attack by Hamas. And previous to that, Netanyahu was under all kinds of pressure, you know, like people in the military weren't showing up because they were in the, against what he wanted to do. And I do yeah. believe that the war, um, it was purposely allowed, Hamas was purposely allowed to carry out that attack because of what Netanyahu wanted to do, which is what he's doing right now. And I think um, it's not as clear-cut as we think it is, just like 9-11. They, had, they knew that 9-11 was going to occur. And they allowed it. It's like there was someone in the U.S. government who wanted, we need an event to do what we want to do. And they needed an event to justify for the people to invade Iraq. And I think we have to be very careful of Netanyahu. And I, I, I used to hang out with a few friends of mine who were sympathizers of, um, they were Zionists. Okay, all right? I was studying um, Kra Magab. With, uh -huh. with, with, with a guy who used to teach defense for the Israeli army. And in Please, the classes, he used to say to me, uh, say to us, think, he said, and he showed us a move, and he said, do it like you would do to a Palestinian. And I had to Lincoln. stop taking the class because he was saying things like that. This other Zionist friend of mine, he refers to Palestinians as animals. You know, so I think it's, it's not as clear-cut as we think, Dr. Resnick. Yes, I agree with you. <clears throat> First of all, uh, animals are animals, and Palestinians are Palestinians. Uh, but, for example, these terrorists who committed these horrific acts, it's absolute insult, of course, I agree, to call them animals. It's an insult to animals, because animals don't torture, don't put little babies in ovens. No, animals kill uh, because they don't even murder, they kill because it's their impulse. They're not making a choice. These people, mm -hmm. these are degenerated human beings. I'm not talking about all Palestinians. I'm talking about all those who committed these horrific crimes and those who supported them. There is a, a poll done, I believe it was by uh, a Saudi Arabian uh, group, uh, uh, that quite recently uh, of journalists and they did the polling uh, among cousins and West Bank people and they discovered that 75% of uh, Gazans and 85% Palestinians from the West Bank support, support Hamas. So I, even though they support Hamas, I don't call still them uh, degenerates, 
or God forbid animals, as I said, because it's an insult to animals. But it's people who support terror. But those who committed terror and who provided help to terrorists, uh, I believe they are not humans and not animals. They're some kind of degenerated group of people uh, uh, of of kind of resemblance of human beings, but they're not. They're not. Because they committed such horrific crimes, you will say, well, I, I didn't forget what you said about Netanyahu. Uh, if Netanyahu indeed knew that this attack will happen, or the United States government knew that September 11 would happen, knowing that somebody will be murdered and doing nothing about it, it's also murder. So then Netanyahu committed murder because he had other plans, but I still believe it's a crime. It's still murder mm-hmm. in situations. But mm-hmm. in terms well, it of... It was nice talking with you, and I hope we continue to keep the lines open for um, critical thinking and critical conversations, all right? Okay, you be well. Thank okay. you for calling. All right. All right, bye. Bye-bye. So, <laughs> a little interlude into politics. And now, ladies and gentlemen, in the remaining 10 minutes, we'll continue our Bible inquiry, our attempt to see deeper into the words of uh, what we call five books of Moses, originally called the Torah, meaning instructions. All events, circumstances, characters in the text are designed to teach us about pretty much few things. Uh, About how to live our life, how to create a healthy community, and uh, the boundaries within that community. I think once already somebody called me and asked me, What is, yeah, I think a caller said, I know that the New Testament is about the Lord Jesus Christ dying for the sins of humanity. How do you define uh, the Torah? And I said, and I said there are four words for the Torah, excuse me. One creator, that is the the Torah teaches there is a creator of the world. Two, instruction. The Creator gave us instruction on how to live. Three, community. The instruction is about how to create functional community. And the word, the fourth word is boundaries. Uh, the Creator informed us through the set of instructions that without healthy boundaries, a commu- healthy community cannot exist. And that's why we received the Ten Commandments and many other instructions to keep us sane. The higher is the level of the reader of the Torah, the more the reader will be able to learn uh, from the material. Yet there are basic ideas that the text introduces and clear intention uh, that it pursues. And the basic idea is that the universe did not come into existence on its own. The creator created it. 
uh, and that's it. And the rest, as as I said, it's about um, making this universe, this world that we we are as as a cab as a kabbalists or mystics teach us. We came to inhabit with the purpose of exploring and making the world a better place. That is, uh, the Torah does not necessarily teach about afterlife. Uh, there is not much in the Torah about uh, going to heaven. It's more about bringing heaven to earth, making the earth a godly place. Uh, and we started our journey in explore, of exploring the Torah on August 29th. God, it's almost, yeah, six months. No, no, it's four and a half months. August 29th, 2020, four, four and a half months ago. And here we are on the chapter 22 of Genesis. <laughs> That's all I can say, because we all already have to wrap up our hour. Uh, I was thinking maybe this first time around uh, of talking about the Torah and looking into deeper meanings of it, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going actually proceeding too slowly, discussing each and every verse, just like I remember spending a whole show talking just about the first verse of the first chapter of Genesis. So perhaps I should focus on the main events and the main characters. But I want uh, I want your feedback. I want you to tell me if you want me to go a little faster and just focus on the main on the main uh, events uh, in the Torah or you want me to literally to go as I was doing it before uh, verse by verse. Um, I I don't want to start uh, the chapter 22, that's where actually we are, and I did not even cover it today, but I think it was productive. I love the um, calls of E from Edgewater and Lincoln Brown from Mount Vernon. Uh, thank you for calling, guys. Uh, we are in in uh, chapter 22, where where God is saying to Abraham, maybe you can think about it before next show. God actually is saying, it's written uh, in the first verse uh, of chapter 22, and it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, please take your son, your only one, who you love, Isaac, and go away to the land of Moriah and bring him there for burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. This is a very scary statement because it's God talking to Abraham, asking him to do what? Exactly what he told the humanity and encouraged him, Abraham, to teach not to do not to do human sacrifice. And suddenly God is saying, uh, and God promised to Abraham that you will have descendants, you will be father of many nations, through Isaac that will be born to you. 
and suddenly God is saying, go and slaughter this child. Isn't that weird? And if it's just a test, didn't, doesn't God knows past, present, future? Doesn't God knows Abraham and his heart and then his commitment? Then isn't it torture? Does God want to make Abraham suffer thinking that he has to give his son that he waited for so long to, to kill him? So that would be an interesting question to contemplate on. And I would love to hear your take before I speak my mind and before I tell you how some sages, uh, commentators, look at this event, because it's a huge, huge event uh, in the narrative of the Torah. Anyway, I want to thank you now for your attention. We never got to talk about the Torah, but I think we covered some interesting subjects. Again, if you um, if you want the, the writing of Anthony Hopkins uh, that I read to you, I would gladly send it to you because I think it's remarkable. It's so deep. Uh, I thank you again for being with me today. I'm looking forward to getting your having your attention a week from now, Tuesday at two o'clock. Be happy and peace to all who want to live in peace.